What is up, everybody? Welcome back to America's Game, episode number 41. I am your host, Eric Vanek, and you can find me on Twitter at EricVanekNFL. And I am not joined by my co-host, Scott Connor today. It is Scott's cat's birthday, so they're having a little party for the cat, I guess. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, Scott will not be on this episode this week. He will be back for next week's episode. I've uh, got a really big episode, which I'll get into here in a little bit for next week as well. Uh, but this week, another awesome episode. I got a special guest with me this week, and it is Matt Bruning from Campus to Canton. What's going on, Matt? What's going on, Eric? I'm I'm happy to be able to jump on with you. I'm a, I'm a little disappointed that it's not actually Scott's cat's birthday. I was going to ask how old and, you know, if there was really anything special they had planned. I was kind of excited for it. Yeah, they've got little party hats and everything. They showed me, put it on the cat and everything. That, that is awesome. I'm I'm a little jealous. I I didn't get an invite. Does did, you know? Did they have any kind of like registry anything set up? I can at least send the cat. Like right. I don't even know. I don't even know the name. I don't either. He has like literally like eight cats or something like that. It's something crazy. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, him and him and his uh, wife bring in uh, rescue cats and take care of them and stuff like that. Foster them and stuff. So he's always got a bunch of cats at his house. Yeah, I thought I thought it was only gonna be one or two. I didn't know eight. That's a, kind of a little <laughs> bit hard to keep track of. I've got two dogs, and that's a little bit too much for me. So, but that, that's awesome yeah. that they do the, the rescue thing. It's not yeah a, for sure like a like a crazy cat thing where they just have to have a bunch of cats around. They had one that they rescued. It was uh, f- I think it was four black cats, and they got um, purple, red, orange, and blue collars, and and basically made them uh, teenage mutant Ninja turtles. That they is gave awesome. The names with the, those collars, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. But um, no, I, I just uh, wanted to give a shout out first uh, to campus to Canton. If you guys are in any sort of Devi league, I don't care if it's just you know you're selecting twelve players. If you're in a super deep Devi league, if you're in a literally a campus to Canton league, um, if you're not signed up for campus to Canton, make sure you guys go and sign up over there for all your Devi needs. Any of your Devi drafts, they got rankings that are perfect. I use them all the time for all my Devi leagues. You know they're they're the best. So also their YouTube channel, uh, Matt does some stuff over there. I, I was watching some of your uh, spring practice reviews and some of the practice reviews uh, that you were coming out with and telling us some of the good information coming out of all the college camps right now. So if you guys are in any sort of Debbie league, I mean literally the smallest to the biggest kind of Debbie league, that is the place to sign up. It's campus to canton.com campus. Uh, and then the number two canton.com. Make sure you guys sign up over there, follow them on Twitter, follow them on, on YouTube as well. Uh, some of the best college information that you'll get for any of your Debbie league. So just wanted to give that a quick little shout out before we start here. Hey, I, I I appreciate it. You know, we we are trying to help grow the the college game. I like like Ray does. I mean, he he kind of really started that. He was at least in my opinion, kind of like the first big college name that I really remember interacting with. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. I think uh, as as you someone in this space now too, it's it's really fun to be able to just talk about our passion, which is football. So uh, right. we appreciate anybody who you know anybody who who signs up or, or just kind of chills with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, even if you just want, you know, hey, I want to know about I'm an Ohio State fan. I'm going to go just read it for Ohio State stuff, even stuff like that. Um, If you're just a Big Ten fan, you want to just see Big Ten stuff, they have that. They go conference by conference on some of these things. So, you know, great articles over there. The rankings are awesome. The YouTube content is great as well. So, yeah, definitely check it out for sure. I feel like the YouTube content's the worst part about it. The rest of that stuff is pretty. <laughs> there's a lot of really smart people over there. I'm just a pretty face that that just you know 
just spreads <laughs> information. That's really it. <laughs> right, right. Oh, all right. Well, anyways, for this episode, though, I want to pretty much give like a primer for the 2023 class. We're a little over a week away. We're recording this on Wednesday evening um, before the draft here. And, you know, it's all kinds of things going on right now in the mock draft space. There's all kinds of different rumors. What are the Texans going to do at number two? Nobody knows now. Are they just going to go defense? Um, I've heard rumors of that. It might just take Will Levis at number two. Um, there's the stuff that came out today about CJ Stroud and how um, with Brady Quinn and he, how he just ghosted the Manning passing camp. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a little <laughs> a little concerning. So, I mean, could Stroud be fallen? Stuff like that. So we're going to get into that. But, you know, what are, what are your general thoughts about this quarterback class overall, Matt? It, it's an interesting class. And so I know you were someone who was kind of out on, like, all of the, the 2022 class for the most part. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I remember some very fun discussions in the, in the Heisman channel with Ray about, you know, all of us kind of going in and out on some of those players. It's like, oh, we're all in on Malik Willis. Then we were out, then we were back in. And, and the whole time you were kind of like, no, nah, I'm done. I don't want anything to do with this class. My position has kind of been not that I'm out on them. I like them, but I just, I feel like a lot has to go right for these guys to hit. I, I do like Anthony Richardson a lot. Uh, he He's just so talented. He's extremely athletic. There, there's an argument to be made that the minute he steps on an NFL field, he will be the most athletic player in the NFL, which I think buys him time and grace to figure out the passing. It is not bad by any means, but he does need to improve a little bit there. C.J. Stroud, I think, is just a very safe quarterback. And I think for our purposes on fantasy, he may never be the guy that's going to be like a top five or six fantasy quarterback, but I feel like he's a guy who's going to consistently be probably in the top 15 unless he ends up on a bad team, in which case I could see him almost being a – everyone compares him to Jared Goff, and I feel like that's a good – comparison and the fact of like if he doesn't have the weapons around him like Stroud can only do so much with what he has and and I feel like that's where he kind of gets limited a little bit Bryce Young it's really just the size I mean I, I don't know how you quantify what it is he does but watching that dude for the past two years and what he was able to do at Alabama you know I, I know Will Levis gets all this love for last year not having a good offensive line and quote unquote no weapons well Alabama's offensive line was not much better than Kentucky's, and he had, in my opinion, worse weapons than Will Levis. He was still out there winning games and finding, and finding ways to shine in big moments. If he can translate that into the NFL, I think he has a chance to truly be a star. And then then there's my boy, Will Levis, who I I, I know I, I get – I'm told that I hate him. I don't really hate him. I just – I have more questions about him. And it's more just some of the stuff that he does, you know, on the field with, I feel like he's a little bit late on throws. I do think that his rushing upside has, has been overblown a little bit. I know he ran a lot two years ago, but I just don't see him as a, a dynamic runner. And I almost see him more of, I talked about this on Adam's pod on the 4D chess pod with, I think it was like two weeks ago. He He's more of like a Justin Herbert. And if you watch Justin Herbert in college, like he runs and he can do that. My fear with Will Levis is like he would do it when he didn't need to, and I just don't think he's the athlete to be able to beat NFL defenders like Anthony Richardson will be, so that will get him in trouble. When he's late on those throws, I feel like that's also going to hurt you in the NFL. You just can't be that late on throws in the NFL. It, the The amount of time and grace that you get compared to college and NFL, the, the time in the windows gets smaller and smaller, and I think Will Levis has to figure that out. I think he can figure that out, but – 
when everybody talks about it and say, oh, well, he's got this super powerful arm. And I mean, you can let me know what you think about this, Eric. If you're an NFL quarterback, I'm going to say 75 to 80 percent of the NFL quarterbacks have strong arms. So you're not really telling me that like, if you tell me Will Levis's best attribute is a super strong arm. OK, well, in my opinion, 75 percent of, of the NFL quarterbacks have super strong arms. So what's the difference? The difference is being able to read the field and make plays with your head. And I just feel like he's a little bit slower on that. Again, doesn't mean he can't get there. Or if he lands in, in the right place, that that could end up working out for him. He's the one that I'm, I'm, I am the most worried about. But overall, I think the class is, is really good. I think there's two guys that have a chance to be really special in Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young. And then Stroud is right on the cusp for me. Like if he lands, you know, the, I, I imagine you probably agree with this. The, the favorite landing spot's probably Indy, which is it's kind of a good thing hearing these quote unquote bad things about CJ Stroud and him possibly falling now to four. Because if he lands in Indy, I see him being a fantasy superstar because he'll have the offensive line, the running game, and the weapons around him. And when that dude has the time, he will pick a defense apart because he is just that good mentally and his anticipation throws his, his accuracy. I, mean, I swear that dude could probably close his eyes and put the ball anywhere on the field that he wants. And if, with that, with the with the team around him in Indy, if that's where he goes, I think he would also be a slam dunk fantasy uh, fantasy player. Yeah, no, I agree with that. If I think Indy's a really good spot for any of these guys. For yeah. if Richardson goes there, Stroud goes there. I mean, even Levis, I'll I'll take there. You know, both of them. Uh, their offensive line was a little banged up last year. It wasn't as good, but obviously they got Quentin Nelson. They got some really good guys on that offensive line. Still could use a, a few pieces, uh, but yeah, that would be a really good spot for sure. Um, in Superflex, though, are you still taking these guys as like the top picks over Bijan, or would you take Bijan over them in Superflex leagues? So for me, it really depends on what your team looks like. So if if you're – how do, how do you want to, if you earned the 101, 102, and 13, as in your team is just that bad, to me, it makes no sense to take Bijan. Because I imagine you're not a running back away from competing unless you just had, you just got killed with injuries this year and it was just like, man, it just wasn't your year, which happens. So maybe you could be. If you're a team that's clearly in middle of a rebuild, to me, it makes no sense to take Bijan Robinson because. While I do think he's special and he probably has a chance to be on that like Barkley spectrum and, and he really hasn't dealt with many serious injuries the way that Barkley has, I don't think his value will depreciate anytime soon. But none of the quarterbacks are. Even if Will Levis is what I think he could be in it on like that Zach Wilson kind of Baker Mayfield, you know, range of like, you know, is good, but then just just kind of doesn't get it figured out. He's still, if he's Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield's now on like his fourth team, still getting a shot. So his value is still somewhat there. It wasn't what it was when you drafted him with 1-5 or whatever. But coming into this year before Zach Wilson imploded, you could still trade him for a first-round pick. You've got to take the quarterbacks. I, I know Bijan is, is the sexy name. He's fun. He's going to be a great and fun running back to watch. I want him on my teams. But if you earned one of those top five picks, I think you have to go the quarterback alone because if you get to a point where say you don't like Will Levis or you don't like Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, whichever one, and you get them. If they start playing well, you'll be able to flip them for more if you want. You'll be able to get a whatever, a Derek Carr. And then if you want to get Bijan, you'll be able to get Bijan cheaper anyways. Like for me, you have to go quarterbacks unless you just traded that. There is a in one of my home dynasty leagues, I traded a year ago out of the one eight spot to get a uh, first round pick and I got one too. So I'm hoping 
I, I live in Texas, so chances are Bijan's going 1-1 regardless. But if he doesn't, I will be taking Bijan because I finished runner-up in this league. I, I lost in the championship. If you have that pick, then go for it. I have no problem whatsoever with you taking Bijan. But if you earned it, I think you have to go to the quarterback just because of how long those guys retain their value. Because all of these guys, despite what I think of Richardson and, and – well, I like Richard Levis and maybe not working out Hooker, who, who we really didn't talk about earlier, who – I think both those guys could still be solid backups for a long time. And those in super flex leagues still matter. You flip those guys. We see it all the times in leagues where you're flipping those guys for second round picks at times. If the starter gets hurt and those guys have to come in and play, well, here, now you can have them for a second round pick. Like, I'll take that all day because you're probably not getting that for Bijan three or four years down the road. Right. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if I'm looking at it right now, Bryce Young and Richardson, I would definitely take over Bijan. Stroud is the one where I would maybe have a little pause. It kind of depends on where Bijan goes to. If Bijan goes to like a Dallas, I mean, the hype's going to be off the train. He might be, he might go first overall. It doesn't matter. I think Richardson, especially like in point per carry leagues, I absolutely love him. Uh, just kind of like bringing up, you know, Richardson. You know, obviously, he's got the lack of experience. But that upside that he has is absolutely immense. And you saw last year what Justin Fields did. Um, he wasn't like a great passer. But, man, his just his rushing numbers alone made him an elite fantasy starting quarterback for you. He was had multiple 30 to 40 point scoring weeks um, in that format. And do you think Richardson could get even better and improve just passing wise than like kind of like uh, what Justin Fields did? Yeah, uh, a thousand percent. So uh, I've said before, and, and I'm going to credit uh, one of my good friends, Mike Valerie, because he, he's actually one who brought this to my attention because we, we've talked back and forth. I mean, I know Ray has been on Anthony Richardson, and I, and I was not earlier in the year. I, I was kind of like, I, I need to see it more from him as a passer. Like, I get he's a dynamic athlete, but at that time, we really hadn't seen him do anything as a passer. And everybody's like, uh, you know, he might be a first round pick because I'm like, man, I got to see it. And then Mike and I were talking, and he said, what is it about him that you think he can't do at the NFL level, especially when it comes to the rushing? And I was like, well, I still need to see it as a passer. And he's like, but look at what Lamar did as a rookie, and look at what Justin Fields just did. And I was like, okay, like expand on that. And then we went and looked at it, and Justin Fields threw for just over 2,200 yards. Just over. And as you just mentioned it, finished with 30, 40 points sometimes. And I believe finished as like a top eight QB, even not playing in, in, in the last game of the season, which you, I, I wish he would have. I, I get why he didn't. Anthony Richardson is a better runner than Justin Fields. I think he's closer to Lamar. Like I think him and Lamar are edge on edge. Like Lamar is definitely a lot, uh, a lot more elusive. But like, I feel like if the two of them were to run a race from, you know, from end zone to end zone, I wouldn't be surprised if Anthony Richardson beats him or is right there with him the whole way. Like, Anthony Richardson is a special athlete. If Lamar could do that as a rookie and so could Justin Fields, I don't see any reason why Anthony Richardson can't. And he did improve a little bit over time last year. Now, he definitely had some bad games. The one thing with Richardson that I think, you know, we talk about uh, all the time over campus to camp. It's one thing I brought up with Quinn Ewers all the time is like, the quarterback position is like the one position you you can go out there and practice it all you want, but if you're not getting those live reps, like you you can't really perfect your your game on Saturdays or now moving on into Sundays because you can throw a ball to the receiver 30 yards down the field, but you can't really perfect putting that perfect touch on it over a defender. Even if you have people out there covering the wide receivers, it's just not the same as live game reps. Quarterbacks need that more than anything. 
Richardson has not even played a full-on – well, I think he barely has played full-on college season. He has not started more than like 15 games. He's got to get more of those live reps, and we saw him improve a little bit at the end of the year for Florida last year. I think once he starts getting more and more, he's going to become Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, if he gets on the field as, as a rookie, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I would not be surprised if he's a fantasy superstar as a rookie. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. You know, you were bringing up those comps, and it made me think back to one of the ones I always bring up is Tim Tebow and for fantasy. And he was a top 10 fantasy points uh, scorer as well, um, and he couldn't throw a lick. So if I don't think he's – Richardson's definitely 10 times better thrower than Tim Tebow is. And if he if Tim Tebow can be a top 10 fantasy quarterback, that, uh, that was the one thing when I was younger that – brought me to like hey like these rushing quarterbacks matter especially in fantasy if tim tebow can be a top 10 fantasy quarterback and throw in barely for 100 yards a game and lucky if he got one passing touchdown but his rushing yards and his rushing touchdowns alone were able to elevate him up to the top 10 like then any of these guys can do it so i think i agree with you richardson rushing wise more upside than fields fields Man, I thought he was going to be a lot better passer and not the rusher that he has been. I think that's going to come. I think his passing is going to come, and Fields is going to probably be one of those guys who might break fantasy one year. I have like a Lamar Jackson type year uh, during his MVP year. I'm hoping I see that soon. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of what I was feeling on Richardson, that he, he's probably got the same upside as Fields, I'm thinking. So I like that. Yeah. Um, so Br- Bryce Young, so, you know, he has everything minus the height. That's the, his only thing that he's got, um, against him right now. We've seen the S2 test stuff that's came out recently that he basically aced it. He was, um, scored a 98th or 98th percentile, whatever it was. And Bryce Young is off the charts on pretty much everything. Um, but he is an outlier. Are you willing to take the risk on, on Bryce? Are you okay with the height? I am, and and you know it's it's always hard to make that bet. Um, what was it? Uh, Ray said something on Twitter that I know everybody else thought he was being serious, and everybody in the Heisman chat knew he was joking about like threading the needle on the seven percent or something like that. And it, it's definitely I, I get being fearful of that because we've seen these quarterbacks come out, and we talk about these smaller guys, and they end up never panning out. But there's just something different about Bryce, and I, I can't put my finger on it. I mean, you just watch what he was able to do at Alabama, and he, he's never really dealt with any serious injuries. So, I mean, people talk about, well, he's small. He, he's not going to hold up to the NFL. I mean, it's not like he was playing in the Sun Belt Conference. Guys. I mean, he was playing in the SEC. He played Georgia three times in his career and beat them twice. Uh, the only time he didn't was, unfortunately, in the national championship, but they smoked him in the er, – sorry, in the national championship. They smoked him in the SEC championship. He's played tough defenses. He's played a ton of NFL defenders. And the only time he ever got injured was last year with the shoulder. He missed one game and then came back still beat up and did what he was able to do. Like he just, he he's special. He is a magician behind the line of scrimmage. He finds ways to just get the ball out. I am a little bit worried, obviously about the, the Alabama's talked about how they did have to kind of help create throwing windows and, and you being a Browns fan. I'm sure you're, there was a lot of talk about that with Baker Mayfield too. The difference is, Baker is not the athlete that Bryce Young is. And I feel like wherever he goes, this coaching staff is going to, if it is Carolina, where it seems like all the fingers are pointing toward Carolina, you would think they're going to be smart enough to find ways to get him on the run a little bit and and allow him to do that. 
But Drew Brees was also not that athletic of a quarterback. Now, he's a little bit bigger than Bryce, but not a ton. And yet he was still able to find those windows. Why? Because he was so smart. And you just mentioned what we found out about with the S2 scoring of Bryce Young. I really think he's going to figure it out. He He's just extremely smart. He's extremely talented. He is the one. If we were talking about it, I mean, I can't think of a really small quarterback off the top of my head at the moment, but there's just nobody else in college football, in my opinion, over the past two years that has done what Bryce Young has done, besides probably Caleb Williams. And the only reason we're not worried about Caleb is because he is NFL size. If the I know this is a, a stupid thing to say, but if Bryce Young had the size, we wouldn't be questioning this at all. So I, for me, it's just there is no question. I'm taking him. For me, it'd be if you're if you're in a fantasy draft, it would be between him and Anthony Richardson, who I'm taking at one one. You know, I get the safe to me the safe bets Anthony Richardson because of his size and athleticism. But I'm going to have a fair amount of, of Bryce Young on my rosters as well because I just believe in the talent and I think he's going to be able to replicate what he's done at Alabama at the NFL level, and it's going to be fun to watch. He's Kyler Murray, but not arrogant. Like, and that's what I, I love about him. Yeah, I agree with that. He's definitely not arrogant. I all I've I've ever heard about Bryce is just how smart he is, how much of a leader is he is, how much he loves the game, how much he is always studying. He's always there working. Uh, you know, there was a story about you know basically he's there when the coaches are there and the players are off, and he's helping set up the game plan for the next week and all that. You know, that's the kind of quarterback that I want, and I think. You know, Carolina, I think, has fallen in love with that. They need that quarterback. They haven't had that quarterback since Cam um, that could take that team. And he's also, you know, when he does run the ball, he doesn't take, like, these big giant hits. That's one of the other good things about him. He's kind of Russell Wilson in that type of way. Uh, Russell had to be small or is small, and he had to, you know, avoid those hits. But I don't think, like, Bryce Young is going to be running for 700, 800 rushing yards or anything like that. I'm thinking if he can get me 400 to maybe 500, you know, he's going to have a couple rushing touchdowns here and there. I'm fine with that, and I think he's going to be just fine passing the ball. He's super accurate, has a decent arm. It's not like the greatest arm. Like, I think Stroud has a better arm, uh, Levis, better arm, Richardson, better arm, but it's good enough. It's not going to be, um, you know, something that hinders him in the NFL. And you're playing in Carolina. You're playing in uh, the uh, NFC South. You got the Dome in Atlanta. You got a Dome in New Orleans. Tampa Bay is always pretty solid weather unless you get that freak rainstorm. So he's going to be playing in good weather all the time. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely in. I'm Bryce Young as well. Yeah, Um, he's got the offensive line too, right? If he goes Carolina, great offensive line. Hopefully good weapons with with the players they've added around him. They'll probably grab a wide receiver. So, yeah, it'd be... It'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, you got um, – obviously, they brought in Adam Thielen. He's going to be a good, solid veteran. That's going to help him out quite a bit. Uh, DJ Chark, they also brought in. You know, the couple of the running backs they got. They got um, Hubbard. You know, the tight ends, I I like a lot of their tight ends. Tremble. Um, They brought in Hayden Hurst, who's going to be another good little option. And you have Andy Dalton there and Josh McCown as the quarterback's coach to really help him out, man. He's got two very solid veteran quarterbacks in the league that have been in the playoffs, that have played in big games like Dalton has his whole career. So, yeah, I I love the fit there for Bryce. And I, I agree with you. I think... Depending on Richardson's spot, or if it's a point per carry league, I'd probably go Richardson at the 101, but Bryce is probably my 102 right now, so I agree with you on that. Uh, but C.J. Stroud, you know, he's got a solid arm. He's got pinpoint accuracy. He's very good at that. Um, he also showed in the Georgia game that he can use his legs, but he's always been kind of hesitant to do that. Um, one of the other knocks that has always been on him is 
he's always had that elite offensive line and skill weapons around him. Do you think he needs that to succeed? And it's kind of like the classic trailer versus truck debate. Is he kind of the truck? Is he going to lead you to the Super Bowl? Or is he a trailer where he kind of needs all the weapons and everything around him? Because, you know, he gets a lot of pressure on him and he kind of folds sometimes. Um, Hasn't been very good under pressure. So kind of what are your thoughts on CJ Stroud? It's it's always hard to figure that part out because I, I don't I have blamed him some for that. I've been like, well, you know, in the big moments, again, you're an Ohio State fan, Michigan. Granted, two years ago, I mean, they had Ojabo, they had Hutchinson, two first round picks who, who were going after that offensive line and really kind of shut him down. They did the same thing again this year, and there wasn't a ton of NFL talent and or there's NFL talent on their defense, but none of those guys going first round. Oregon did it a couple of years ago. Granted. Third, or so I believe it was the second game starting, so take what you want of that. But Penn State's also kind of caused him some trouble as well the past two years. I mean, both those games, you go and look at them, and okay, Ohio State looks like they won by a decent amount, but this last year, they won, by they won I believe, by like 20, but they scored 17 points in like the last two minutes of the game. It was a very close game going up until that point, and, and Stroud struggled. I don't know that it's fair to hold too much against him the top offensive line and the wide receiver talent due to the fact that it's not his fault that Ohio State is good at recruiting, right? Like, it's not like he went out there and said, you have to give me this or I can't play. They were around him, and let's be honest, now this year he did struggle, or I should say struggle, but he didn't put up the stats he did his first year. But his first year starting with Ohio State, he did exactly what you would want him to do with a top offensive line and all those wide receivers. Threw for 45 touchdowns and over, I believe it was over 4,400 yards. When you have the talent like that, you should be passing for that. I do think he is a quarterback, though, that needs things a little bit more around him to succeed. And, and that's just because I don't think he's going to bring you much with his legs. I feel like a lot of the NFL community has overrated that Georgia game. We've watched him for two years straight, and I, I feel like you could not pay him to run for five yards at times, even when it was open. And he's openly said, I'm not a runner, I'm a quarterback. Now, I do think some of that is Ryan Day. You go back and look even at Justin Fields. Justin Fields didn't run as much as people think he did at Ohio State. It's just a staple of Ryan Day's offense. He he openly, when he recruits quarterbacks, says, I am going to teach you to be a quarterback. We're not here to get you killed running the ball. So could Stroud do that more in the NFL? He could. I really don't think he wants to, and there's nothing wrong with that because all of the arm talent is there. My only fear really with Stroud is – he doesn't at all seem comfortable being able to throw off platform, which I do think is something you need to be able to do in today's NFL. You go look at the times that he gets flushed out of the pocket. He just doesn't seem to be able to complete the ball the way any of these other top quarterbacks can. Bryce Young can. I mean, Bryce Young had a play, I believe it was in the Texas game, I know for sure in the Auburn game, where he was flushed out of the pocket and dude hits a perfect dime 60 yards down the field throwing off platform. Stroud can't do that. That is my big fear with him. I I do worry that like if things aren't blocked up for him, that he could struggle out of structure and off platform. But that again, if if he ends up like we talked about earlier in Indy, I don't think that's going to matter much. And if he does bring that rushing side that we saw in Georgia, then I think he'll be fine. But I do think overall, that's kind of what limits him from seeing the Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young ceiling that we talked about earlier in the show. I think Stroud is a very safe pick, but I just, I don't see the, the upside in his game, unless he ends up in some massive passing volume offense where he's passing for 40, 50 touchdowns a year, then, and then he's going to get there just based sheerly on volume. But I don't think he's going to bring anything special to the game that I think like a young and 
Richardson can't, or even a, a Levis. Like, would you be surprised if at the end of the year we're looking at CJ Stroud and his rushing yards like 150? Because I wouldn't. I, I think that's probably where it's going to be. And at the end of the day, that doesn't help us for fantasy. That, that, that won't do anything for us. Yeah, I could see that, like 150 yards, 200, something like that. Um, I mean, he's big enough to, like, he could do it on the goal line and get you a couple of touchdowns too, but just not in his game. But hopefully with that Georgia performance, you know, maybe it was Ryan Day kind of holding him back. I don't know. So kind of be interesting to see. My last question on Stroud, though, is, I don't know, have you heard anything about the maturity issues or anything like that? Is that a problem for you? So it's it's – I've never heard of anything at the facility. So it's interesting because the 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 Manning camp thing, which I'm almost positive the Manning camp thing was like three years ago. It, it's not like this happened yesterday. It's kind of hard for me to hold too much against a guy when he was like 18 years old. And he, like, granted, you don't ever want to do that, right? It's the Mannings. You don't want to, I don't know that he's on their bad side, but you don't want to be asked to come do something with the Mannings and then not show up. Not even like the report is that he goes to them, right? He ain't even like, Hey, I can't make it just didn't say you don't want to do that. And and we've heard other things too, uh, based on like other things he's done around the country when he was younger, that maybe he didn't handle it as professionally as some of these other guys would get. He's been compared to, you know, the, with Bryce Young, Bryce Young has always been that professional though. And I think that's, that's handled a little bit different at Alabama than it is at Ohio state. The one thing I will kick back on, I don't remember who the guy was that said it. I tweeted out a comment about it, about the guy saying that like, he's not coachable that I completely kick back on because I know for a fact that he's a guy who would text Ryan day daily talking about the game plan, wanting to watch more film with him. He wanted to be, you know, you talk about Bryce young wanting to sit in with the coaches. Everything I've heard CJ Stroud was the same way. Like he was sitting in with them wanting to know what the game plan was saying, well, Hey, this is kind of like what I like. What are you seeing here? This is what I'm seeing. That doesn't sound like someone who's uncoachable to me. So is it a thing where like when he's in the facility, he's like this leader, the guy that you want to be around, but then like maybe outside with some of this other outside noise stuff, like the Manning camp and some of these other camps, he hasn't handled himself. Well, I mean, okay, but not every kid's going to be perfect. Like Bryce young, we, we hear about this. It's not like he's out there doing anything. Like, I don't want to go off color here and say something really bad, but you ghosted someone is not as bad as some of the things we've seen other prospects doing. So for me, I don't think there's really a maturity thing there. Maybe he just cares more about football and that stuff. And when he's outside, he just kind of wants to be with family and friends. I'm not going to hold that against him. If the worst thing I hear about a guy is he goes to the Mannings at a, at a passing a camp, I feel like you're doing pretty good for yourself. Right. That's fair enough. I think just my one thing about him is if he goes to a team, like let's say Tennessee trades up to number three, they have a really terrible offensive line. They have no weapons. Like that scares me a little bit with CJ Stroud. If something like that happens where he just goes to a team where he's asked to create basically everything on his own and he has nobody to help him. That'll scare me a little bit. It'll scare me for any quarterback that goes there. Honestly, even Anthony Richardson. Um, but if he goes to a team that's got some weapons, like if say Atlanta gets him, trades up from eight or takes him at eight, whatever, and he's got Kyle Pitts and Drake London and all this stuff, um, Atlanta's got a, a decent offensive line. Okay, I'm gonna buy into that a little bit more. So that's just my my quick little thoughts there on Stroud. Uh, all right, so Will Levis, um, do you feel like he needs to have the team around him as well to be successful? Uh, does he need to have the elite uh, offensive line and weapons around him? 
Um, his ball placement and accuracy definitely needs to get better. I agree with you on that. But the arm, his size, his strength, all that is really top-notch for this class. Um, a good comparable that Dane Brugler brought up was Carson Wentz, both the good and the bad of Carson Wentz, so you kind of have to deal with that. Very, very big-time competitor. Um, one of the other things Dane brought up in his draft guide, 71.6 completion percentage on third downs. So that was really important to me. Like, yeah, that is great. Everyone, you know, says, "Oh, he can't throw," or, or his completion percentage sucks. Whatever. Seventy-one point six on the money downs on third down. That that's really huge. So I like that from Levis. And football is just very important to him. So, kind of, what are your thoughts on on Levis? Do you really think he needs that elite O line and weapons to to succeed? I don't know if he needs uh, an elite O-line or weapons because I also think that's going to be hard to find, right? I mean, typically most NFL teams you're looking at maybe, you know, a a top, I don't even know what you say, like a a top 15. If you're in the middle of the NFL, you're doing pretty good for yourself at offensive line. It's hard to have, you know, like the offensive line Ohio State's had the past couple years where you're going to dominate most teams because the, the talent is more dispersed at the college level. The thing I think that matters most for me when it comes to Will Levis is the scheme and whatever coaching staff gets him, their willingness to build around him and give him time. Because I do think he needs more time than some of the other quarterbacks. And and I don't think that he has the special athletic ability that an Anthony Richardson has to buy him that time. I know, again, that he was much better as a a rusher two years ago than he was last year. Rumors of him dealing with all different kinds of stuff with his foot. You know, I'm not going to hold too much against him for that. He he was not great. But my my fear with him is is, is just reading everything. There's a lot of talk about how he ran a pro-style offense two years ago. It's technically true. It was more of a pro-style offense. I can't remember the the offensive coordinator's name, but he left. He went to the Rams last year and then came back uh, this year. Unfortunately, Will Love is obviously gone, so it's not going to help him much. But his stats were not much different this year compared to last year. The biggest difference being, you know, he passed for a little bit more uh, yards and touchdowns. But last year, 2,800 yards, 24 touchdowns. This year, 2,400 yards, 19 touchdowns. So it wasn't that much of a drop-off. His completion percentage this year, his adjusted completion percentage, was actually better. Everybody says he had this massive year last year. I think a lot of it was really due to Wandale Robinson two years ago. There was a lot of times that he was getting the ball to Wandale, and Wandale was making these big explosive plays. And for me, when I watch a lot of his film from two years ago, it seems like Wandale is one of the first reads almost every time. And I feel like he does a lot of getting the ball out to, to to Wandale, Wandale making these big plays. And if it wasn't there at times, he was running, which is where a lot of the rushing yards come from. Overall, I think that he is a little bit late at times. He, he knows how to read a defense. If you watch him, you can see his head moving. So you know he's reading and going through his progressions. But as I mentioned earlier, I feel like he's a little bit slow to those at times. And there's a lot of times you watch him throw the ball and it's behind receivers you're not going to be able to get away with that at the NFL level. And on top of that, you mentioned his accuracy and ball placement. That's actually one of the other things that I think he he struggles with. There was a game this year, I want to say it was the, I'm pretty sure it was the Tennessee game, where they were already losing, so you know, take that however you want. But Barry and Brown was lined up on the far uh, left hash. It was lined up man-on-man, beats his defender. Will Levis has all the time 
in the world. The, the pocket is well protected. He can even step up into throw into making the throw. Barry Brown has de- has beat his defender by, I want to say it was at least two, maybe three yards at that point in time. And he throws it back shoulder instead of leading Barry Brown. If he leads Barry Brown, that's a touchdown. Said he throws it back shoulder. It's short. The defender picks it off, and I believe they return it for a pick six. He does that too much for my liking. That's what really scares me about Will Levis. It's just the decision-making, and that's where when I was on with Adam on the 4D chess pod, I said, it reminds me a lot of Baker Mayfield and Zach Wilson. At times, the decision-making, like he's making the right reads, but the ball placement's not there. The decision-making is just a second too late. And in the NFL, a second, it, 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 it kills you. It really does. These defenders just react that much quicker. You can't get away with it the way you can at the, at the college football level. And I'll say the same thing here that I did there. That doesn't mean that Will Levis is always going to be that. He can improve on that. He can. But I just think he needs more time to do that. So for me, it's the coaching staff. It's more the coaching staff than anything else because I do think he's got a strong enough arm. He's got the, he's, he's a good enough rusher. I think he can get you four or 500 yards rushing, which is perfect for fantasy. You don't need to be Lamar Jackson. 400 yards is more than enough. But can the offense work around him, give him time, built in some quicker reads and some better offensive plays to kind of get the groove going a little bit and kind of build around him like we've seen? Granted, it didn't really work out at a playoff level, but kind of what they were able to do for Kyler Murray at Arizona, you know, what Detroit has done kind of with Jared Goff, where he, when you see things are schemed up for him a little bit better, he's an extremely good quarterback. If a team does that for Will Levis, then I think he'll be fine. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. Especially, you know, Levis, like you were mentioning, uh, not uh, this past year, but the year before that, you know, he had a really good offensive line, and a lot of those guys went to the pros this year. So this year when he played, the offensive line was a lot more of guys that hadn't started before, first-time starters. And it's not like Kentucky is, is an up-and-coming program. They're still not, like, top of the SEC, but, you know, they've done enough to where they're at least competitive. You know, they're not getting, like, the amazing recruits that Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State are getting. So for what Will Levis could do with that Kentucky team, I thought he did pretty good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited uh, to see where he lands. I agree with you that he kind of needs – um you know, a good a good coaching staff around him. If he has, you know, a team that doesn't know what the hell they're doing, that that's going to be a little scary for me. Uh, but yeah, hopefully Levis goes to a good little landing spot for himself. Even if he has to sit a little bit, I'm fine with that as well. Even if he if Tennessee does draft him, I know Tennessee is one of the hot spots for Levis, um, and they keep Tannehill for the rest of this year. And if he sits behind Tannehill for half the season, or uh, you know the whole season behind Tannehill, I think that would really help Levis as well. So yeah, uh, excited for that. Uh, the last one that we didn't bring up, though, was Hendon Hooker. So this one's tough for me. Like, that offense, I don't know. Can that really translate? You know, obviously they're not going to run that same exact offense in the NFL for Hendon Hooker, but just the way that he plays, is that really going to translate? I know he's super athletic. He'll be able to run the ball for fantasy, so that um, gives him you know, some upside in, in our super flex leagues. I think he's worthy of a first round pick. If he goes in at least the top 50 picks, I think in the back end of the first round hooker should definitely be um, in consideration there in super flex leagues. Um, but how do you think of, how do you think his processor is? Can he read defenses and be successful in the NFL just because that offense didn't really ask him to do that that much? 
yeah, that that is a big concern for me as well. I, I think he can. So it's different going through your progressions and reading a defense. And and what I mean by that is in this hypo offense, the way that they so if if you were to be watching a a Tennessee game when you when you go and look at them, you'll notice that the offense is really spread out. I mean, you have wide receivers almost standing on the sidelines at times, and and they do that to make the defense easier to read. And and how they do this is set it up and okay. You can clearly see what the what the cornerbacks are doing because they don't have time to change up their coverages. Typically, when you're watching a defense, you'll see guys kind of moving in and out of the box trying to confuse the quarterback. Are they actually going to be blitzing? Are they going to drop back in coverage? The quarterback has to quickly decide what they're going to do. After that, after they call HUD or, or snap the ball, a lot of quarterbacks then readjust to what the defense is doing and decide what they're going to do. Hendon Hooker does not do that, in my opinion. He is clearly going based off what he reads pre-snap. So pre-snap, I think he is brilliant. Typically, he's able to figure out what the defense is going to do and where he's going to go with the ball, and he has preset and determined reads. He knows every single play based on what he saw he's going to do, this, 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 or this. And if the defense changes, at least in my opinion, it doesn't look like he ever changes that. He still continues to go this, 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 and this. So if he misreads the defense, that's where I think he gets in trouble, which is why I think the Georgia game was so bad because Georgia and, and Kirby are so great at disguising their defense and what they are going to do. Can he do that at the NFL level? I think so, because I think he is talented enough, but he is someone that I would put almost on like the Jordan Love trajectory on. Like, I think he's a guy who needs to sit for probably a couple years, which is also not great because he's already 25 years old. So chances are if he is taking that high and you're taking him at the back end of the first, you may have to wait a couple years to really get a chance to see him. But I also think if he goes to an offense that's willing to implement some of that into his game, he'll be fine. They'll figure out a way to work that in, hopefully, if he goes to the right kind of offense. But he is also one that I'm really worried about being able to translate to the NFL. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't... I don't know if I trust a translate in the NFL. There hasn't been a lot of success with that. Um, there's not a lot of examples of this offense, you know, really translating the NFL and players translating. So, yeah, I agree with you on that one. It's going to be it'd be tough for Hooker, but I, you know, if he goes in the top 40 picks, 50 picks, I think, you know, Washington, Seattle in round two. Uh, Minnesota maybe is another spot I've heard. You know, if he goes to one of those places, okay, I can see it. Um, you know, maybe I'll take a shot at like a 111, a 112 if I have him, uh, if I need a quarterback in one of those types of leagues. But it's kind of a guy that I, I kind of want to be out on. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm willing to, to make that bet. Um, is there any other quarterbacks in this class that we haven't mentioned that you want to talk about at all? No, no, I, I don't. Okay. Uh, I don't think any of those other guys. I don't think Tanner McKee is going to get the draft capital. Uh, PFF does, and I don't think he's the next Davis Mills either. So no, no Aiden O'Connell talk for me. No, okay. I don't. Uh, <laughs> don't think he's overly special, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I, I think I think he's got a good arm. He's got great accuracy. You know, his ball placement is great. But yeah, his he's. Uh, He's like Drew Bledsoe from like 93. You know, he's just yeah. a statue, so he ain't going to be able to do much there. All right, so let's move on now to the running back. So obviously the 101 guy and, you know, basically since last year has been B. John Robinson in most leagues. Um, 
you know, we kind of talked a little bit about earlier. We probably would take Richardson and Young before Bijan. But do you think Bijan is 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 Saquon like maybe the the best comparable for him right now? I do. I, I mean, I, he ran fast enough with the with the forty at the combine. I think that he's so. This is going to probably sound crazy to some but you know whatever I, I said with with adam that marvin harrison jr i think is going to be better than jamar chase so you know why, why not why not drop a little uh, hot take on here too i actually think Bijan's better than saquon barkley i think he's a a better receiver and overall i actually think he's a better running back i, I think we kind of get some rose-colored glasses at times when it comes to saquon barkley and, and because he's just so much fun to watch he's got the quads he, he's just a great player he's great personality we think of him as this great running back. I actually think he's kind of a raw, actual running back. I don't think his vision's great. I don't think he's always quick to the hole. But when he gets there, he's fun to watch. He'll make defenders miss. He's hurtling over people. Bijan Robinson is a magician behind the line of, of scrimmage. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, just go watch the Alabama game this year. When Quinn Ewers got hurt, and Alabama's defenders knew they could just tee off now. They're going for him, and they're going for Hudson Card. And granted, Alabama's defense this year was is not as good as it has been in the past couple years. We're talking about guys like Will Anderson, who could possibly be the number two pick in this year's draft. Getting to Bijan in the backfield and him making them miss in a phone booth. I mean, he is surrounded by defenders making three or four guys miss and then still picking up positive yards. His burst is incredible. I think his vision is on an elite level, and he just knows exactly when and where to go to get to open field and make big plays. Saquon just didn't have that. He was just a freak athlete. I think Bijan may not be quite the freak athlete that that Barkley is. I think he's close, but I think overall as a processor and just an overall running back, he's better. So I do think he's got a shot to be better than Saquon Barkley was and is at the NFL level. Yeah, I kind of said it before uh, this past season even started. I would put Bijan as my RB. I had him RB2 overall in Dynasty, and that was uh, only Jonathan Taylor ahead of him, and then Taylor kind of had a little bit of a down year. But as soon as Bijan enters the league, he's he's RB1 in Dynasty, I think. Yeah, I think he's agree. over everybody. Um, if Brees Hall maybe didn't tear his ACL, maybe we'd have a conversation about Bijan or Brees Hall. But I think with Brees coming off the uh, ACL, I'd probably have him as RB2 right now behind uh, Bijan. It's kind of crazy that a running back like that can just come into the league and be the number one overall dynasty player at his position. I think that's just crazy. That just shows you how much talent he has. Well, I mean, we, uh, we saw it with Taylor, right? We saw it with Jonathan yeah. Taylor, and I don't think it's unfair to say that Bijan is a much better player than Jonathan Taylor. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Saquon, he was he was the same thing. He came in and he was automatically, uh, you know, a top three dynasty asset um, at that point too. I remember doing startups and I would get him constantly at the one hundred nine, one ten, and startups um, at that time. So um, next up, Jameer Gibbs. So obviously, super electric athlete. Um, I don't. I, th- I think you'll agree with me that he's not going to be able to handle a twenty-five to thirty touch workload. Um, per game he's probably going to be more limited to like a 12 to 18 touches kind of like DeAndre Swift was a little bit um, the last couple years do you think that's probably pretty accurate for Gibbs and and what do you like about Jameer Gibbs yeah I I don't think that he'll be able to hold up to a overall you know what we we call a workhorse uh, running back and that's fine because I think he's so explosive when he gets the ball in his hands that it doesn't matter for me he reminds me a lot of of Aaron Jones 
And that's what I think he can be at the NFL level. And I think if he goes to the offense that will use him that way, like Green Bay has with him and Jamal Williams, he's going to be a smash for it, just like Aaron Jones was. Because he'll get you enough rushes. He'll probably get you, you know, 10 rushes a game. And, and if they're in the red zone, even better, because you're probably getting touchdowns. But where I think they're really going to, and I hope whatever team drafts him, maximizes his touches is in the receiving game. Because when he gets the ball in his hands and he's able to get into open space, he is just fun to watch. He's got that, was he hit almost 23 miles an hour, I think, in that one video. He knows how to stop on a dime and make defenders miss. He's got extremely soft hands. So I do think he's a guy that will never be the workhorse back. And the one thing you mentioned, Swift, which I think is a great comparison. If you if you go back and if people go back and remember what DeAndre Swift was, I mean, he was an incredible back coming out of college. And Georgia, the big thing for him has just been the injuries. Like he's unfortunately not been able to stay healthy. Gibbs so far has not had any issues with that. So hopefully that continues into the NFL. I think he's easily the RB2 here. And, and in my opinion, there's a there's a pretty steep drop-off. Like I'd put it, if, I, if I'm tiering the running backs, it's Bijan tier one, Gibbs tier two, and then you hit tier three where everybody else is. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Especially with the way he can catch the ball. So the last couple of years, uh, 36 catches, and that was at Georgia Tech. And then last year he had 44 catches. Uh, for 444 yards, three touchdowns at Alabama. Um, he was their leading receiver. Yeah, so and, he, and he didn't he didn't play the whole season either. He he missed yeah. games. So yeah, that yeah. that just shows so, you how special he was. For sure. Yeah, and to be the leading receiver there on Alabama, you know Alabama's had wide receivers galore there the last couple of years. Just not last year. Uh, it was pretty bad last year with uh, Jermaine Burton hasn't didn't really do anything. Tyler Harrell was non-existent. I don't even think he played really that much. No, he didn't. Uh, so, yeah, so Jameer Gibbs definitely is going to be a fantasy asset for us. And like Scott Connor has talked about in the past, like if you're going to be a RB number one overall um, in a fantasy season, you have to catch the ball. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. you got to be an Austin Eckler, a Christian McCaffrey, a Saquon Barkley type that can catch 70, 80, 90 balls um, to be the RB1 overall. And Gibbs has that in his outcomes um, just because he can catch the ball. I don't think he can handle the kind of the workload, um, you know, carrying it 250, 300 times a year, uh, plus what the catch is. Um, but I think he can at least get you to Alvin Kamara type usage where he gets you maybe – 800 rushing yards, another 800 receiving yards, 80 catches, something like that from Gibbs, I think would be really nice. Obviously, he's uh, like 15, 20 pounds smaller than Camaro was, but hopefully, you know, Gibbs can get in the NFL weight room, bulk up a little bit more, um, not lose his speed, and, and still be pretty special. So I'm excited for Gibbs. Uh, but who is your RB3 in the class? Oh, so it, it goes back and forth between multiple players, and I, I do think that draft capital and landing spot is going to change this for me. Right now, I, I have Zach Charbonnet out of, out of UCLA. I, I do think that he is a very good back. We saw him, uh, you know, he, he's actually a good receiver as well. He He can catch the ball. I think that he's talented. Like, there's not, in my opinion, anything, like, super special about him. My other fear with him, too, like, the film is good on him, but also the film has been really good on, like, a lot of these Chip Kelly running backs, and unfortunately, like, none of them have really panned out into the NFL, and I hate to do the helmet scouting thing, but that part does worry me a little bit. Like, it just seems like all these guys go in, they're really talented, but then when it comes to getting that NFL draft capital, they end up getting, like, fourth or fifth round picks. So, I think that he'll probably get day two draft capital, but like I really wouldn't be surprised. I, I know this is a very deep running back class. 
I really wouldn't be surprised if we see Bijan go round one. I actually think Gibbs has a shot to go round one as well, possibly back in. And I wouldn't be surprised if we only see like two running backs go day two. And then we just see a smattering of them go in day three, like we saw a couple of years ago, where all of a sudden you see all these guys going off the board in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. And we're all trying to figure out what we're going to do with this class then because it's deep and we like a lot of these guys, but I feel like the NFL has devalued this position so much that they might just not take these guys and, and go for defense and, and other players and let the running backs fall. So but Charbonnet right now is currently my my uh, RB3 based on landing spot draft capital. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm good with Charbonnet there. That's who I have as well as my RB3. Obviously, like he said, he can catch the ball. He did have 37 catches, 321 yards last year. So he can definitely catch the ball. Really good vision as well, running the ball. He's just not like that dynamic start and stop athlete like a Bijan or a Barkley is. Um, he's going to have to, you know, kind of wind down a little bit and then get going again. But I think he's, he's going to be really good as well. I think, you know, Dallas and um, Cincinnati have been the most commonly mocked teams for him in like round two or three. If he goes to Dallas or uh, Cincinnati, definitely wheels up. He'll be a back end first round uh, dynasty pick coming up here. Yeah, I'd love Dallas because I think he'd be the perfect fit with with Tony. Pollard, right. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. Um, next, I want to bring up was Devin uh, a chain. So obviously he's an outlier. But he proved he could handle the load in the SEC, which I think is very valuable. His speed is obviously absolutely electric. Um, he should be a weapon catching the ball, too. Do you think the draft community is kind of maybe a little bit too low on him right now just because of the weight? I do, because I think an NFL team that drafts him is going to draft him knowing they have to use him in a specific way. Now, my big right. fear with him as well is because he is so quick, I am a little worried that someone drafts him and then they use him as like their kick and punt returner. We don't see a ton of, of work on the offensive side of things at running back. So he is a by far better player than the player I'm about to mention. But what I could see him doing is almost being what Philip Lindsay was for the Denver Broncos. And so for those of you who don't remember what happened with Philip Lindsay, he was a guy that I, I loved watching um, if, in college. Goes into, doesn't get drafted. Gets, I believe he was an unrestricted free agent uh, or, un, or undrafted free agent for the Denver Broncos. Goes in, does special teams, and like returned a kick or a punt in the first game. And the next thing you know, he's getting carries. He's working his way into the offense, and then he ends up going and having, at least in my opinion, a pretty good career. I mean, he was really good for fantasy. I believe it was that first year as a rookie. Now, obviously, Devin Achain's not going undrafted. He's getting drafted. But even if he ends up on a team and they're saying, you know, he's going to be our special teams guy right off the bat. When he's making plays and being that special, at some point, they're going to give him a shot to be a running back. We've seen it with everybody, even Devin Hester, Josh Cribbs for the Browns, right? Like they were so special as returners. They eventually got shots with the offense. Unfortunately, they couldn't make anything out of it. I think Achain will. What you're hoping for overall is, in my opinion, for him to land where I'd actually love for him to go is Carolina because Frank Reich had this obsession with Naheem Hines, even though he had. You know, Jonathan Taylor, the best running back in all of football there. But he loved using Naheem Hines all over the field, getting him a certain amount of carries, especially late in the game when the defense is getting gassed. And he's like, I'm not bringing in Jonathan Taylor to run these guys over. I'm bringing Naheem Hines in to run around them. I would love if he landed in Carolina because I also think Bryce Young would uh, check it down to uh, A-Chain as well. But wherever he goes, I hope someone uses him in that role. I want to see the draft capital 
And if he ends up in like a, I'm trying like a Tennessee, I would be seriously concerned because we we we've seen these other guys come in there. I can't remember who we, uh Dar- Darrington Evans was a guy that we thought, oh hey, come yeah. in and be kind of like that RB two and that receiving back, and it's just everything goes to Henry. So landing spot would be key for Achain. Yeah, they had uh, Dion Lewis there for a little bit too. He was uh, he didn't work out. There was Dontrell Hilliard. Um, yeah, there's been a bunch of guys there, so it's it's been kind of uh, a little interesting there. Um, so, all right, so next one up I'm going to bring up is uh, Zach Evans. So that's another intriguing prospect as well. He was a top yeah. recruit. Uh, you should know all about him, obviously. But he was never just, like, elite, you know, in college, in my opinion. Uh Dane talked about his pass blocking um, on film was really non-existent, so that's a little scary for me. If he's ever going to be, you know, a third down type back or even play on third downs, if he has not a really good pass blocker, that just limits him to be a first and second down type runner. Um, do you think he's probably just going to be a first and second down runner, or do you think he's kind of scheme dependent? He's kind of like that one cut and go type runner, so maybe like a. Kyle Shanahan type offense, a Cleveland Browns type offense, Vikings offense, stuff like that. Do you think he's kind of just limited to maybe that kind of role? He probably is. So I am higher on him than a lot of other people. He is currently my RB4. I still think that he is going to be a good running back at the NFL level. There's going to take a lot. He's going to have to take a little bit of humble pie. And I think that the draft is probably, unfortunately, going to do that to him. Because he was a super talented guy. There's a lot of stuff that happened with his recruitment. You know, the TCU stuff, I I know a lot of people kind of get on him about that. You know, from everything I've heard, and I've asked some people about it, it was because Gary Patterson got fired. And Patterson was his guy. He wasn't the only guy who decided to not play anymore the rest of that season. Granted, you know, last year, we would have hoped that he had a better season than true freshman Quinchon Judkins. And he got pretty much outperformed on everything. I don't want to give him a pass on that, but I do think he is a very talented running back. He is likely not going to be the workhorse I thought he could be a couple of years ago, but if he does land in the right offense, I mean, I do think he's got really good vision, good burst. My, one thing I don't love about him, and especially because he's got a little bit of an injury history, I feel like he seeks out contact at times when he probably doesn't need to. There's been some times that he's going through the hole and he could easily say cut right the offensive lineman's blocking up a linebacker and he could cut right and hit open field and maybe only get you a couple yards instead he goes left to take on the linebacker and and he tries to drop his shoulder he doesn't always win those you'd like to see him make some better decision making but moving into the nfl level like the spot i would love for him to go would be the cleveland browns because i feel like he would fit perfectly in that offense i think he could be a perfect replacement for Nick Chubb, I hope they don't move on from him anytime soon because I love Nick Chubb, but I think he could be there. Like I think he's got better long speed than he gets credit for. Now, he's not going to be Nick Chubb, but I think he could easily fill in. Like I would not be surprised if he has just as good or a very comparable season to what Kareem Hunt has had for the Browns the past couple of years. Like I think Evans is right on that trajectory somewhat because he is a good receiver as well. Like He, he can't catch the ball. I, I would love for him to go there. If he, I, I love the 49ers scheme. Obviously, they've got like it feels like 80 running backs every year. So I don't know if he went there. I wouldn't love it from a fantasy perspective. And then the other big one would be obviously Miami. But I I don't know that they would take him. And to be honest, I don't know. 
if he would really be the guy either. Cause like, I think he's good, but not special. So I feel like he would end, we would see almost Miami and Mike McDaniel doing the same thing. Kyle Shanahan has done with the 49ers and made it somewhat of a rotation. Yeah, I think most teams are gonna are a rotation nowadays. There's very, very few teams that are just giving a guy twenty, twenty five carries a game, plus the catches, all that. I think anywhere that any of these running backs are gonna go, they're probably gonna be stuck in a committee outside of Bijan, to be honest. So um the next one up that I wanted to bring up though, that I I honestly don't know much about just because it was hard to find anything really too much on him, uh, was Roshan Johnson. And, you know, I've seen a lot on Twitter that Twitter loves him. There's a lot of people on there that think he's like a top five RB in the class. I don't personally see that, but um, he only averaged 9.5 touches per game um, at Texas. Does that concern you having that limited touch ceiling? And and what's, what are your overall thoughts on Roshan? Yeah, I, I like Roshan. I, I feel like he's kind of become this this Twitter hype warrior because everybody's looking for, for the guy that nobody's talking about, right? And they want to be right on somebody. It, he's a guy that I think could smash. He's not a – he's an extremely good pass blocker. So, like, that is one thing I definitely think will get him on the field. I think he's got decent hands. He's a decent running back. But he reminds me a lot of – and. and some of the the older crowd will remember this guy. He reminds me a lot of Javorius Buck Allen. Like, that's who he reminds me of. Um, USC running back, played for Baltimore for a long time. I think he's going to be good, but I don't ever see – I don't see an NFL team, first of all, taking him in the first two rounds. I wouldn't be surprised. He Maybe he gets drafted in round four. I think he's more of like a round five guy. I think he's just going to be a compliment. And could he be a guy who hits for you – you know, if say he goes, I'll just use the Browns again. If he goes to the Browns and Nick Chubb goes down and like, okay, well, we're just going to use you and Jerome Ford. Like, could he hit for you in a couple weeks? Yeah, probably. But I don't think he's like, I've got him as my RB 11. I think I just don't think that he's going to ever be a guy that you're basing your fantasy team around. Like he's a best ball target. I take and, and hope that he hits for you a couple weeks here and there. If someone gets hurt. Yeah, he seems like the perfect Patriots type player for me. Like he's gonna be their new Brandon Bolden, their new Kevin Falk, their new Sammy Morris. I can name all these backups that they've had that have done everything from special teams, receiving the ball, rushing the ball, that just basically hang around there. He just kind of seems like a Patriots type player to me. So like in round four, Patriots come up, select Roshan Johnson. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, the next one's up. Uh, I'm going to kind of loop both of these together since they're kind of on the same right now. That's Kendra Miller and Sean Tucker. Uh, both haven't been able to do any of their workouts yet. Tucker is finally going to be able to work out. He just got cleared. Um, he's going to have a pro day on April 24th, which is only like a couple days before the draft. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. How are you feeling on both of these guys right now coming off of injuries and whatnot? And what are your overall thoughts about Kendra and Sean Tucker? Uh, so I do like Kendra. He's a guy that I was out on last year. Um, I, I did not think he was going to be really special, especially uh, he performed well when Zach Evans left. And I was like, ah, oh, it's probably just the offense. Like, I'm not really going to buy into it. He looked incredible this year. Really good burst. He's a very strong runner. I think he's got a really good lower half whenever he he challenges defenders. I don't know that he's – he reminds me a lot of, like, Marlon Mack who I think, you know, had he not blown his Achilles was probably going to be just like a very good running back, right? Like not great, good. And I kind of view Kendra the same way. I actually don't 
know off the top of my head how many catches he had, but I don't feel like it was that many. I know I I don't remember at least Max Dugan passing the ball to him a ton. So I think wherever he goes, he's probably going to end up being just like a a first second down guy. He he is a good pass blocker as well, at least in my opinion. Now it's kind of hard to tell it sometimes with with the way the TC runs their offense, but I do think he did a very good job of that at times. So maybe he ends up in there third down, but I feel like he's more of like a first and second down guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll just give you his passing stats real quick. He caught um, two years ago, 12 for 117, and last year, 16 for 116. I think he can be a little bit better of a receiver, I and mean, he might not have been able to show it, but I, th- I think he's showing the skills to where he can do it. Yeah. And then 6.2 yards per carry last year, 1,300 yard, 1,399 yards, so almost 1,400 yard rusher. Obviously, that's the uh, the big 12 for you, but yeah, pretty uh, pretty good numbers from him last year. Yeah, I mean, 16 catches for a running back in college is actually, is actually a lot. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, I mean, I honestly did not realize he caught that many. Uh, Sean Tucker for me is is interesting because he is just an amazing athlete. Uh, he really is. He He's going track star who can play running back. I think he, he shows all the traits you want out of a running back. Good vision, good burst. We know he's a good receiver. I'm going to be curious to see what we hear about him after his pro day. Cause obviously there was a lot of talk about him doing his homemade pro day and a lot that was said about that. None of us seemed to know that there was any real injury thing going on here. So it's good to know that and I want to see, they probably won't tell us. I'd be very curious to find out what the injury was. Cause I would think it's gotta be more serious than a little minor thing because nobody knew of any kind of injury. So I want to know what's going on with Tucker, but I do think he has a chance to be, it's kind of like everybody compares smaller running backs to this guy, but he has a chance to be Austin Eckler with, with how good of a receiver he is and how explosive he can be and how great he creates when he gets into space. But you have to go to a team that's willing to use him that way. And I don't know that he gets, granted, I don't believe Eckler got the draft capital either, so maybe that won't end up mattering. But I want to see where he goes. Um, I, he will be a guy that I take a shot on just because of how fast he is. And, and in my opinion, he's not just an athlete. Like, he's a running back who is also a very good athlete. Yeah, he. I think Eckler was undrafted. So. Um, I but yeah, so, but yeah. Yeah, and then, and then Tucker, and I'll bring up his passing stats too. Uh, two years ago, he caught 20 balls for 255 yards. Last year, he caught 36 for 254 yards. So definitely is a very good catcher of the football. Um, it's going to be, we'll have to see what happens at this little pro day that he's going to do here on the 24th. Hopefully he's healthy. And then I'm kind of just looking through Dane's notes here. Um, he didn't mention an injury at all. It just says one eight was unable to work out prior to the NFL draft and his medical feedback will be paramount to his draft grade. Um, he has him listed as a fifth to sixth round type player. And that's probably ultimately where I see Tucker end up going is like in the fifth, sixth round. Um, would it shock me if he went undrafted? No. But I think his talents, he, he deserves to be drafted. Um, all right, so the last one's up here. Any of these other running backs you want to bring up um, before we move on to wide receivers like Tajay Spears, um, Israel Bandicanda, Tank Bigsby, any of those guys you want to bring up before we move on? Uh, I mean, Tajay, I think, is, is honestly going to fall kind of into the Tucker thing with the health being a major thing. Like, how, what do his, his medicals come back on with the knee? on where he gets drafted. I like Tank, uh, but I do think he's going to end up being kind of like just a first, second down guy. I I don't know that he's going to end up being anything special. The guy that's really intriguing to me is, is, is a Bonaconda just because of how, how fast he is, how big he is. You know, he's going to get 
if he ends up on a team, likely he's going to get day three draft capital, right? So if he gets, even if he goes round five, like he's the guy that I'll probably end up with on a fair amount of my teams because if someone gets hurt, like I think he could smash. He reminds me a lot of, it's going into the, to the, I don't know how to say way back machine, but like Marion Barber, Isaiah Crowell type, where like he's got speed. He's not afraid to be physical with you either. I think he could be a very intriguing back. I don't know he's a guy that they'll ever build around, but like he's a guy that I think if injuries happen, he could end up just smashing for you for a year or two. Um, and then you just kind of flip him for whatever mm-hmm. you can because then people will believe he's he he's I feel like he could be like Alexander Madison for you. It's like right, like Dalvin Cook goes down and comes in, has this amazing season. Everybody's like, Oh, as soon as he becomes a free agent, he's gonna be the thing, and that's when you just flip him to get whatever you can because it's probably never gonna happen. Yeah, and he ran a four 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 at his uh, forty yard at the pro day, um, so he didn't run at the combine, but that was at his pro day. But yeah, I mean four four speed at the running back's position. And if you watched like just his highlight tape from last year, he was a touchdown machine. He had twenty rushing touchdowns last year for Pittsburgh. Um, he's he's just fun to watch on tape. So yeah, that's another guy I'm super excited about for sure. Hey, Destination Devi listeners, Eric here of the America's Game podcast, and hopefully by now you've heard that Underdog Fantasy has partnered up with Destination Devi. You want to get in all of these year-long best ball contests and compete with Ray Garvin, Ike and Gene of the Off the Line Fantasy podcast, Adam and Mike of 4D Chess, and Scott Connor and myself at the America's Game Pod, well, now is your chance. If you sign up with the code America's Game, all one word, you will get a 100% deposit match up to $100 free by Underdog Fantasy. The best part of that, though, if you deposit at least $10, you will get access to the Destination Devi Discord for free. You'll get it for one full year, and now is the time to do it right before the NFL Draft and get all those goodies that are going on right now in the Destination Devi Discord. And right now, as we know, it is tax money season. Are you getting any money back? Why don't you take $100 and deposit it on Underdog Fantasy, and you'll get a free 100 from Underdog, and you'll get access to Destination Devi. There is no better deal going on right now than that. So use that promo code America's Game, once again, all one word, and sign up today. Now, back to the show. All right, so we're going to move on now to the wide receiver position. You know, it's basically, you know, the wide receiver position has really become almost like a basketball lineup for most teams. Like, you got your bigs, you got your quick, fast guards, you got your three-point shooters, you got your rebounders. Are you... You know, comfortable with taking one of these wide receivers in the middle of the first round in your rookie drafts who might just be kind of like a slot-only guy, these smaller-type receivers? Yeah, JSN would be the only one for me that I'd be willing to take in that range. And that's just because I think he is going to end up being special. Some people may say that's, you know, a little bit of, of OSU bias, and that's fine. But I did watch him play a ton. and And you have to give this guy credit that, like if you go all the way back through this thing for so number one plays he played here in Texas big big uh, over in Rockwall dominated and Texas has some of the best high school competition as someone who literally sits around and watches that every Friday night for the website that's where a lot of the best players played he dominated down here in Texas goes into Ohio State remember this folks COVID year so he didn't get any spring ball 
barely got any fall camp, loses his black stripe. I believe it was like three weeks in. So had he been there in spring, he would have lost it faster than Carnell Tate, who's getting all the love right now because of how quickly he lost his black stripe. And in the first game of the season is starting in the slot with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave on the outside, guys. He relegated Jamison Williams, who we saw go on and have an incredible year at Alabama, to the bench in game one. Makes an amazing catch against Nebraska in the back of the end zone. Granted, doesn't end up going on and doing much else that year. They only played six games. But then in year two, ends up having a better season, even if you take the Utah Bowl game out of the picture. He still had a better year receiving than Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And I believe... I know Garrett missed one game. I don't think Chris Olave did, but maybe they both missed one game. I can't remember. Still ended up having a better year. He just knows how to create separation everywhere. Does it at the catch point. He does it within route. He does it off the line. Like, yeah, he's never going to burn you. He's not going to be a deep threat. He's not going to do a ton of contested catch stuff, but we hear these quarterbacks in the NFL say all the time, if you can create a yard of separation, they'll get you the ball. JSN can do that anywhere and everywhere on the field. I think he's going to be an absolute stud. Yeah, he's one of the best zone beaters in the in the draft for sure. Like you just watch him; he knows where to sit in the pockets, where to f- get in the zone, get wide open for his quarterback, give his quarterback a nice target to throw to. So I'm not worried about JSN at all either. I agree with you. I think any team he goes to, even if it's like a Tennessee um, with Ryan Tannehill, you know, stuff like that. Uh, even like I, th- I think. It's one that hasn't been talked about yet, but it wouldn't shock me is like if he went to Atlanta and you'd had Kyle Pitts and Drake London and JSN there and you just gave Ritter all this opportunity, like even with Ritter, I think that could be really good too. So that's another one I've, I've been thinking about. Uh, who's who's your number two and, and number three in this class? For me, I, I think it's probably um, Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers. Do you have the same? Uh, so for me, it's Jordan Addison and Quentin Johnston. And, Quentin and I'm not uh, I'm not fading Addison, even though the, the testing was not great. Um, I do kind of put him in the same area as as JSN and just how he's able to create separation. I mean, you don't win a Bolitnikov at Pitt and have the year. Like, in my opinion, Kenny Pickett got drafted in the first round because of Jordan Addison, not because of Kenny Pickett. I, I think that Jordan Addison elevated his game that much. And we saw how well he played at USC as well. And he's got these subtleties to his game, this ability to kind of start, stop that I really like. He does a really good job of faking defenders when he he looks like he's going to pull up and go short and then he ends up beating them deep. Like, again, same thing as JSN. He's not going to be this, you know, deep threat. But I think overall Jordan Addison is going to be very good. I still have QJ at three. Does worry me, obviously, with the concentration drops. And he is definitely raw. But if he hits, he has a chance to be the best out of this entire class. Like, he'll, he'll be better than JSN if he hits because he's just got the size speed. I, I do think, obviously, TCU... They did not do enough to help him. And he was playing in a very, as much as I like Gary Patterson as a coach and what he was able to do for TCU, he he still runs a very archaic offense. And when Sonny Dykes came in this year, I mean, Quentin Johnson was struggling with injuries toward the back half of the year. He missed multiple games. He was dealing with that ankle injury. And the fact that he was able to go out there and do what he did against Michigan in the playoffs, I think should be uh, a credit to him because he was dealing with a pretty bad sprained ankle toward the end of the season. So for me, he's still up there. I like Zay Flowers, but like I think even if, like I said, Jordan Addison, JSN, Zay Flowers, if they hit their ceilings, it's not what Quentin Johnson's ceiling is. So for me, he's sitting at three just because of that. Okay. Yeah, my only problem with Johnston, man, is it just he was just disappeared from game logs. Like, 
he would have these these games here. Like I just pulled up his uh, his game logs from early on in the season. The first four games: three for twenty two, two for twenty two, three for twenty nine, four for forty one, and caught his first. Um, no, he didn't catch his first touchdown until the next week. But like, man, that first month of the season, I'm like. You know, we had this guy as a top five wide receiver coming into the year, and he just hadn't really done anything yet. So that kind of disappointed me a little bit. But then he started finally get going. The next game against Kansas, he had 14 for 206 and a touchdown. Then Oklahoma State, 8 for 180 and a touchdown. Um, then after that, he had a bunch of 70-yard games um, from that on, that point on. So that, that scared me a little bit, especially with his, um, you know, his drops. His drops are just awful on tape he has a lot of concentration drops um he kind of lets the ball get into his body too much as well so that's just my my little thing on on qj i'm a little bit scared scared by him a little bit but if he does go to the right kind of system like if he does go to kansas city i mean it's kansas city buffalo any of those types where he gets a good quarterback i think i'll definitely be more in on him but if he ends up on like a you know, a team that doesn't throw the ball very much, like a Tennessee, something like that. I keep bringing them them up. Sorry, Tennessee fans. Uh, but like, if he ends up there, man, like I'd I'd be a little bit scared uh, by him. But yeah, I mean, just his inconsistency was just scared me a little bit. That that's just all on him. No, yeah, that's fair. That is very fair. Yeah, and then with with Addison, you know, I kind of was. I, I don't know if it was Josh Norris and the underdog crew, or it was Steve Smith, one of the two. Uh, they were kind of talking about how they just didn't use USC, didn't use Addison the way he was being used at Pittsburgh. Like he was more of like a screens and 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 shorter routes there at USC, whereas he was down the field more, making plays down the field at Pittsburgh, and they just kind of didn't use him that way uh, at USC. They kind of misused him and kind of did him a disservice a little bit, I think. Um, so I'm, I'm still big on Addison. Like I, like I said, I have him as my number two receiver. I think he's still going to be really good. You know, he, he's... All these guys for me, like if if you get a good quarterback, he ends up in uh, with the Chargers with uh, Justin Herbert or something like that. I'm definitely going to be in on these guys. So I, I think the quarterback makes makes these wide receivers um, more relevant for me. Uh, next one up, Jalen Hyatt. What are what are your thoughts on him? He kind of ran a limited route tree. He needs to get better at running routes. He has that super easy speed. He has really good hands. Um, I was look, looking at Dane Brewer's guy. He thought he can probably just be a slot only type player. Uh, at, I mean, not scary, but I, I figured with his kind of size and his speed, he could win outside, at least burning deep routes. Uh, but what do you think about Jalen Hyatt? So Hyatt's a very intriguing watch for me. And, and it goes back to that Tennessee offense that we talked about earlier with Hendon Hooker. And I, I think Hyatt, benefited from that a ton as well. So if you, if you go watch Jalen Hyatt, what you'll notice a lot is not only did you mention, you know, he was in the slot a ton. He played 87% of his college snaps in the slot. So that's basically a slot wide receiver. And what happens in this offense is they gave him a lot of stacked releases from the slot. So, so what that means is like he would be stacked up a lot of times behind like a wide receiver, like Cedric Tillman. And when the ball was, was, you know, hike to, to Hendon Hooker, they a lot of times he'd either be in motion or Cedric Tillman is the one who's kind of causing that confrontation or the chaos with the, the defensive back right there, which allows Jalen Hyatt this free release. And as you mentioned, he's got that easy speed. Once he's moving four or five yards, he's already hitting top speed. 
and you're asking a safety who is typically flat-footed or a defensive back who may be five, six, seven yards off Jalen Hyatt, now trying to catch up with him going full speed, and that's where Hyatt thrived. I don't think that's going to work in the NFL. Now, if he ends up in an offense that allows him to do that, I think he's going to smash. The, a lot of people have compared him to Deshaun Jackson. The difference with, with that is Deshaun Jackson had a pretty nice release package, in my opinion, at times. And when he was on the outside, he figured out ways to get around the cornerback. Jalen Hyatt doesn't have that. Doesn't mean he can't do that, but he's got to prepare for that. I, I think he's a guy that if you take him in the first round, I would almost expect him to be like a year one zero for you. I think that he's a guy who's probably going to hit later on down the road. You need to allow him a little bit of time to get used to the, the physicality of the NFL game because he just didn't have to deal with that a lot at college. Now, where I could see it thriving is if he does go into an offense, it's just like, we know what you're good at. We're going to do that for you. Like Seattle did with DK Metcalf. A lot of people don't remember DK Metcalf came in a little bit of a raw wide receiver as well. He was very physical and they said, hey, he's got a limited route tree. Well, guess what? Seattle said, we don't care. We know you do these three routes good. This is what we're going to have you do every single week. And he smashed. So if someone does that with Jalen Hyatt, I think he'll be fine. He reminds me a lot of, of Dante Pettis. Like that's kind of where I would comp him. So if he goes to an offense that will use him that way, I think he could smash. And he's got the speed to be able to burn people all day long. It's just can they get him those free releases or how quickly does he adjust to the physicality of the NFL game? Because if he does, then, yeah, I think he's going to be a smash. But I don't see him having the consistency that I think a JSN, Josh Down, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnson, Jordan Addison can have. I think Jalen Hyatt is more often going to be boom or bust free every week than a consistent kind of like five catches for 60 yards kind of guy. Yeah, he seems kind of like that two first 90 kind of guy. Like He gets that 175-yard play, and that's about it. Um, the other one I wanted to bring up, what I mentioned was my wide receiver three for the class, was Zay Flowers. Uh, kind of what are your thoughts on, on Zay? I'll kind of just mention what, um, what Dane Brugler thinks about him. Uh, here in a second, uh, there it is. Flowers is, is undersized, doesn't have ideal skill set for outside work, but he is savvy and sudden competitor with the play speed and route pacing to create space. He projects as an early NFL starter who is at his best in the slot, which I found a little bit interesting because I didn't see too much slot stuff on his uh, tape that I watched. But man, like I was watching uh, Steve Smith kind of break down Zay Flowers, and he just absolutely loves Zay Flowers. He thinks he's the uh, him and JSN are probably the two best receivers in this draft. So, what are you? What are your thoughts on Zay Flowers? Well, it's it's interesting that you said uh, that Steve Smith loves him because I think he is very comparable to Steve Smith, in my opinion, and and what Steve Smith did in college and what he could do in the NFL. Now, I don't know that he has – he is a physical receiver. I don't think he's quite as physical as Steve Smith. That to be said, I think a lot of wide receivers are, are not as physical as Steve Smith. Steve Smith was a different animal in the NFL, and I don't think a lot of people – are him, but I do think that he can be that. Now, I'm with you. He did not play a ton in the slot. I, I wanted to pull it up because I don't remember it either. So he only played in his entire college career, so four years, 33% in the slot. That's not a lot. But I do understand what Dane is saying in, in projecting him there because he's not big. He, he's what right around six foot. So typically, you're going to see these smaller guys go into the slot. And I do think if he is targeted enough, he could be a very good receiver for you. I personally don't like the Antonio Brown comps. I don't see that at all. I don't know why people run with that. I've seen Travis Benjamin, which I think is okay. I think Benjamin 
if he were in the NFL now would have been a lot better if he had Herbert at his quarterback, you know, back when, you know, Phillip Rivers was, was not, he was good, but I don't think he would have targeted him the way that Justin Herbert did. But the comp that I, I personally love for him a lot, like I said, it, it, to me is I could see him being Steve Smith. If he goes to the right offense and is kind of uses, maybe he won't be the one like Steve Smith was for Carolina. And even when he went over to Baltimore, but if he's like the two, in an offense, I think he can thrive because he is just – I think he creates easy separation, and he is a very physical wide receiver. Yeah, the one comp that I've heard is Tyler Lockett as well. I kind of like the Tyler Lockett comparison. But, yeah, I don't see the Antonio Brown ones and, and Steve Smith. I mean, those two – Steve Smith, just a competitive and how strong he was and how much fight he had. There's not very many people in the world that you can compare him to. And Antonio Brown – definitely in the top five wide receivers I've ever watched in my life. So I yeah. definitely am not going to compare pairs, compare Zay Flowers to those guys, but I think he's going to be really good. If he ends up in a really good offense, I'll definitely be in on him. And like you mentioned, like a lot of these guys in this draft that we've talked about so far, Flowers, uh, Addison, JSN, they're all just these smaller guys. But two of the bigger guys in this draft that I kind of wanted to bring up that are getting some buzz right now are Cedric Tillman from Tennessee that you mentioned a little bit ago uh, with Hyatt and Jonathan Mingo. Uh, both, like I said, getting a lot of buzz. Here's here's one that's I think is interesting. So Jonathan Mingo, he ran a 4-4-6 at, his, uh, at the Combine. Jordan Addison ran a 4-4-9. The difference, 50 pounds between those two. So you go to the dog, you go to the pet store and you see that big giant dog food bag on the bottom shelf and it says, hey, 50 pound bag for $24.99 or whatever. Just think of that. That's one, that's what, <laughs> how much more weight Mingo has over uh, Jordan Addison and ran a faster 40 than him with the 50 extra pounds. So I think a lot of people kind of overlook Jonathan Mingo a little bit. Um, I, I started watching him uh, a little bit more. I liked him. Um, I, I'm not going to compare him to AJ Brown, but he does have some AJ Brown, you know, similarities to him. Obviously they're really good friends too, from being um, at the same school. So I think um, obviously he should be ready for the NFL. He's going to have friends that can give him some advice. Uh, but, yeah, what are your thoughts on, on Tillman and Jonathan Mingo? Yeah, I, I like Mingo as well. I mean, you got to remember, too, Ole Miss has not necessarily been an offensive powerhouse uh, over the past couple years. They just got Lane Kiffin, and I think Kiffin is a little bit overrated sometimes what he can do with an offense, but he's still very, at least in my opinion, a very good offensive play caller, and we saw Mingo kind of have his best seasons there with um, at least this past year with Lane Kiffin there and actually a decent quarterback in Jackson Dart. Uh, Matt Corral, don't get me wrong, good quarterback, but, eh, you know, he, he was having his issues. I mean, the, the what was it, his first year there, I mean, threw five interceptions in a game twice. So, you know, that, that doesn't really help out Mingo. If Mingo gets the draft capital, I think I'll be in on him. I mean, he's a very athletic wide receiver. When I look at him and watch him, he reminds me a lot of an – I feel like this name is not going to be sexy for most people. But, like, I remember at least one good season with the New York Jets, and I feel like because he's got the size and the speed, and that's Quincy Inunua out of out of Nebraska. I, I feel like that's what he could be. And if he lands in the right offense, I think he could be an absolute stud. But he's a guy that, like, I think he's still a little bit raw as a wide receiver, which is, is, is kind of tough to say because he's been in college for four years. But, again, he's just – he hasn't had a chance to really produce. And some of that, too, as you mentioned – 
A.J. Brown. I mean, Ole Miss has had a loaded wide receiver core for multiple years. So it does kind of unfortunately hurt these guys because I do believe in the same thing with wide receiver. With, really with any position outside of running back, it, unfortunately, you have to have those live reps. And so he was just kind of moving in and getting more and more starting reps over the past couple of years. I think he could develop a little bit more. I love Cedric Tillman. Like if I had to draft one of the two of – sorry about that. If I had to draft one of the two wide receivers at Tennessee, it would be Cedric Tillman. He gives off Allen Robinson vibes to me, which also scares me a little bit because we've seen in the NFL these contested catch guys just don't succeed as well as these guys who create easy separation. And I feel like Allen Robinson was a little bit of that as well. And I feel like they're almost in kind of the same corollary as well. And the fact that Allen Robinson never really had a good NFL quarterback, and even though I do think Cooker is good, I don't think Cedric Tillman's ever really had a good NFL quarterback either, yet he had his best two years these last two years with uh, with Hendon Hooker there. And I think if he wouldn't have got hurt, he actually probably would have outperformed Jalen Hyde at Tennessee this year. But I think he's got the size. I, I do think he's a little bit better of a route runner than people get it credit for. But at the end of the day, I do think he's going to end up being more of like a contested catch guy, maybe more of a red zone threat. Um, but, but yeah, he, like I said, for, for – a guy that I think is probably going back end of rookie rookie picks, like second round, maybe third round, uh, that I think could be like an Allen Robinson. I mean, the high-end comp that I've seen, I don't know that he's got the speed to do this, but I actually don't hate the comp. But again, would have to land in the right offense for, for him to do this. And I don't think he's going to end up breaking the record like this player did. I've seen some people talk about how they get Michael Thomas vibes from him. And if if that's what he could be sealing – that's a pretty good wide receiver. I don't know that he'll be labeled slant boy like Michael Thomas was, but I think at the end of the day, that's a pretty good comp. Yeah, and and like Dane mentions in his thing, he thinks he's pretty much going to be a perimeter guy. Um, he's not going to really move in the slot too much, so I could see that for sure. I, I do like Tillman as well. I think if you know he didn't run that that fast at his pro day or, or the. Um, Combine, it was four five four at the combine, four five seven at his pro day. So basically like Traylon Burke speed, if you're wanna make a comparison for speed, speed wise. I was kind of thinking maybe like Mike Williams, um, kind of an outside type player like that. Um but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I like Tillman. I think he's probably gotten enough buzz, him and Mingo both, that they're probably gonna both go in the second round, I would assume. So those are two guys I'm definitely in on it for sure. Um, any other wideouts you want to talk about from this class, like Marvin Mims, Jaden Reed, Rasheed Rice, anybody else? Uh, I mean, Marvin Mims is an interesting one for me. I think he profiles to be more of a slot wide receiver as well. But I think if he gets to draft capital, I'll be very – it's going to be very intriguing if, say, he goes in the second round as well, kind of like how him, Mingo, Tillman – because like I think I would probably lean more on Mims because I think he's a better uh, route runner. Than, than Mingo and Tillman are, so I think he could thrive more in the NFL, but it'll be very curious for me to see where he goes. The one that I like a lot, and I've really kind of come around on him, and it's 100% based solely on just like how athletically gifted this kid is, and it's Rakeem Jarrett. I don't expect him to get good draft capital. He's probably not going until like round five, but he reminds me a lot of like Rashad Bateman, but with a lot more speed, and he's a five-star coming out. I think he's got great hands. Um, definitely struggles a little bit at the at, at the release at the line. Could work on his release package. Could refine his route running a little bit. But he wasn't, in my opinion, developed well at Maryland. and didn't have a great offense. So he's a guy that like, I think we could see come into the NFL. And if he lands on a team 
that's willing to use him a little bit and, and give him time to develop, I think could absolutely smash. And we'd be all sitting here be like, why wasn't this in college? And I think it's just because he was unfortunately had a bad school. Yeah, I Maryland's gotten some some wide receiver talent um, on that team, yeah. but yeah. they just I don't know if it's quarterback, the system, or whatever. Probably more quarterback. They haven't really had one good one there in years. But um, yeah, so all right, so tight ends now. Um, your thoughts on the kind of the tight end class as a whole, and then for fantasy wise, like tight end premium leagues only. Is this where you're going to kind of prioritize? Maybe taking these guys. Um, and those kind of leagues, 1.5, 1.75 premium. And then what about in start one tight end leagues uh, with maybe no premium? Are those kind of guys, are these guys maybe kind of slipped down to the second round for you? Or would you still kind of take them in the first? Yeah, so I actually love this tight end class. I think it's going to, it could end up being one of the deepest tight end classes we've seen in a long time. So I'll start with the the one tight end, not premium leagues. I think they, that answer for me is the easiest if I'm really not in need of a tight end, I'm probably not taking any of these guys. Like, I don't know. I, I like Michael Mayer a lot. I, I think he's got a chance to be probably like a top six, seven tight end every single year because I think he's a great, he's a, he's a three down tight end. And we've seen how good he can be when they target him. But you have to go to an offense that's willing to target your tight end. And we just don't see that a ton. Uh, but I do think if he gets the targets, he could be like what Austin Hooper was in Atlanta. And, and I mean, he was a top five tight end for you. But if you're one tight end, not premium, like I'm willing to just take whatever guy ends up not getting drafted in your rookie draft and ends up on the waiver wire at the end, you know, finding a guy that you can cut at some point later and be like, yeah, I don't need, I don't even think this dude's in the NFL anymore, but I don't need Kendall Wright on my team anymore. I can just cut him and I'm going to draft Will Mallory because he wasn't taking it. Because I do think... This tight end class has a ton of very athletic guys that could hit if they all land in the same situation or in a, in a good situation. If it's tight end premium, I still think I'm waiting because I don't think there's much separation. Like, I, I like Dalton Kincaid. I like Michael Mayer. I like Darnell Washington. I think Darnell Washington has a chance to be really good, even if he's just a red zone threat guy because it's just how athletic he is and, and how big he is. But, like, to me, there's not that much separation between Luke Musgrave, Sam Laporte, or Tucker Crabb, Zach Koontz. I just mentioned Will Mallory. Like, all of these guys are so athletic and have a chance to explode in the right offensive situations that, like, I'm fine just waiting until the fourth round of my rookie draft and taking whichever guy's there, assuming that they all get decent draft capital and land in decent positions, and then just hope for the best. Because do I want to waste – I shouldn't say waste – do I want to use a first-round pick on Michael Mayer, say at 1-7, when I could be getting Jordan Addison there? Like, I think I'd rather still take Jordan Addison and then take a shot on, you know, Will Mallory in the fourth round. Who again, I mean, his comparables are, are Jordan Cameron and Mike Gusecki. I mean, Jordan Cameron was a really good tight end, and injuries kind of slowed him down. I mean, we've seen what Mike Gusecki's been for the Dolphins. Like, and it usually takes... Michael Mayer is probably the only one I think will, well, Darnell Washington probably too, will be the only two I think will go out there and start day one, regardless of where they're drafted, because I think they're all around tight ends. Like, I like Dalton Kincaid, but he's not that great of a blocker. He's a very good offensive tight end. He struggles a little bit blocking, where Michael Mayer and Darnell Washington don't. Now, Sam Laporta probably starts day one too. I always kind of forget about him, but he's, he's really talented. So I think I would just pass on all those guys unless a tight end is absolutely what I needed at the back end of the first and just kind of take the guy that falls. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think in these premium leagues, I think you can get by if, like, you know, it sounds like Kincaid and Mayer are probably going to go in the first round of the draft if they end up in a pretty good spot, like, 
Obviously, I've talked about them a couple times already. Dallas and Cincinnati seem like the two spots for tight ends right now. Um, If they end up there, I think those guys, especially in the 1.5, 1.75 premium leagues, those guys are going to probably end up um, in the back end of your rookie first round. Uh, But who is your tight end one? Is it it Mayer then? Yeah, it's still Mayer. I I like Kincaid, but, you know, like I said, Will Mallory – I'm sorry, not Will Mallory. Um, Michael Mayer, just there's no hole in his game outside of he's not as athletic as Kyle Pitts, which is not, mm-hmm. it should not be a knock. They're, Kyle Pitts is a unicorn for a reason, folks. So, yeah, Michael right. Mayer is my, my tight end one. Okay. And then, yeah, I, I, th- I have uh, Mayer and Kincaid as well. So that, that's probably about the same. Um, there's a, just a ton of freak athlete tight ends in this class. You, you mentioned Darnell Washington. There's Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave, Sam Laporta, Zach Kuntz. Do you feel like the tight ends coming into college now are going to be more like this from now on? And this is maybe not just like a one year kind of thing. Or do you think this is maybe just, man, this one, this tight end class is freak athletes and it's going to be a a one year kind of thing. I think, unfortunately, this may end up being a one year kind of thing because a lot of these other tight ends that we're seeing now. It almost goes to the running back thing uh, I've talked about, too. It's like they're starting to be more and more undersized because these tight ends want to be able to be moved around and play wide receiver. And and I still think that NFL teams, while they will take those guys, they still want some traditional tight ends that have the size that can block, you know, when they need to have in that 12 personnel and they need to have the extra blocking for whatever reason. And and these guys who are 6'2", whatever 220 they they're not going to be able to do that against some of these defensive linemen and these linebackers so i i do think that this class is going to be very special i mean next year re i mean i could be missing somebody here but like outside of brock bowers and and if michael trick hits who who had a bad year last year like i i don't love the tight end class moving forward i i really can't think of anybody off the top of my head so it, it's and looking at the recruiting side of things like we're seeing like deuce robinson he's a top tight end in the in this 2023 freshman class he's 62 like 215 that's not a tight end folks so it it does worry me that these guys are getting smaller and smaller and we may go back to these tight end classes where it's like one or two guys you want so if you want a guy who has got the tight end size and athleticism this is the year to get those guys and hope that they hit Okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, there, I was trying to think of some other guys. Like I know, uh, not uh, this past year, but Oscar Delp from Georgia. He's gonna be coming up. Uh, Deuce Robinson. There's that uh, kid who transferred from Georgia to Florida State. I think it's Thomas. Uh, I forget his first name off the top of my head. He just transferred. So yeah, there's there's been some intriguing tight ends um, coming through the recruiting ranks. But no, I was just curious because I think like. With the popularity of these like seven on seven passing camps, like these receivers and tight ends are just getting so developed so much more than like 10, 20 years ago, even. You know, it's like these kids are coming into these colleges now as just not, I don't want to say complete route runners and all that kind of stuff, but they just have more experience, more routes run, playing with these quarterbacks um, at these passing camps and stuff. So that's kind of, I just kind of wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on the tight ends. Yeah. Um, is there any uh, any other tight ends from this class you want to bring up? Like I know you mentioned Mallory. Is there any other favorites that you have in this class? Maybe Shoemaker, Brenton Strange, anybody like that? No, I mean, if if I had okay. to pick one, it's it's still Mallory. And I should mention Jatavian Sanders. I can't believe I forgot about him. Texas oh, yeah, and yeah. next year, he'll he'll be a top guy too, and he's actually got the the NFL size. But yeah, if I had to pick one, I've really kind of come around on on Will Mallory. I, I do think Mallory, that he okay. 
yeah, he's a guy who can do it all as well. He's a very good blocker. Was injured a lot throughout his time at Miami, so you have to worry about that. But again, athletically, you know, comes in as like a he compares to Kellen Winslow, Jared Cook. Greg Olson, Noah Fant, Mike Gusecki, and Jordan Cameron. So when you list that name of tight ends, you're like, that's got to get you a little bit excited. If he lands in the right offense, I think he could absolutely smash. And, and I know Adam said in their ADP he's going like in the fourth round. So I'm yeah. you're throwing away picks at that point anyways. Why not take it on a guy who's got a ton of athleticism? Yeah, I can see that, especially if he lands in the right spot. He is 239 pounds, so that's a yeah. little worrisome. I know me and Scott have looked over like the RAS score stuff and – I mean, he's still got a decent RAS score, but yeah, the, the weight's a little concerning. But yeah, I, definitely a guy I would take some uh, some shots on for sure. Uh, but no, thank you, uh, Matt, for that. Uh, that's good stuff, man, for sure. Do yeah. you uh, you ready for America's favorite game before we get you out of here? Yeah, let's do it. I got I got a special one just for me and you. All right. Since I I can't do this one with Scott because Scott <laughs> hates Ohio State. Who is your fa- favorite Ohio State football player of all time? Oh, that is a good one. I have to limit it to one. Um, yeah, you can give me a couple. I'll, I'll let you cheat. Well, I mean, if I had, I'll give you, I'll give you two. And Cut. so one of them has to be Zeke, and that is just because I was at the national championship here in Texas that first year of the playoffs. I, I was able to take my dad and my my little brother. We're all three of us massive Ohio State fans. My dad went to Ohio State before he ended up joining the Navy. So mm-hmm. to be able to take them to a national championship game and win and, and watch that, I mean, the the run through the heart of the South against Alabama, I still remember my parents were in town visiting, and they were up in their guest room. Uh, my dad had just gone up there to talk to my mom when Zeke ran through that. I mean, just you being an Ohio State fan, you know like that. Like we yeah. – Dwayne, not Dwayne Haskins, I'm sorry. Uh, Cord- Cardale Johnson being there. Or Cardale, I don't know. Why can't I remember? Cardale – uh, yeah, I can't think of his Cardale last name. Jones. Yeah. There we go, Jones. Yeah, yeah. Like losing JT Barrett, and I'm like, that. There's no way we're gonna win yeah. this game. And for them to do that, and then to know you're playing Oregon too with like Marcus Mariota, Chip Kelly, I'm thinking there's no way we're gonna win this game. And to be there live and see it again, I know you're a Browns fan as well. So just having this long suffering of like not seeing championships and getting to see that in person, like Zeke will always be one of my favorite players because of that. Just the game that he had. Uh, but my all-time favorite player, I have to say, I mean, I, I don't, I know, I know people aren't watching this, but it's got to be Archie Griffin. I've had a Archie. chance to interview yep. him. I've got a, a signed hat from him. Uh, the only guy who's probably ever going to win two Heisman's, um, and he's just like the nicest person in the world. Uh, yep. He he did a video call one time and talked to my dad because I told him how big a fan of of him or my dad is of him, and he just like took my phone and was willing to do like a, a five minute video call just to talk to my dad. Like the nicest person in the world. So he will always be probably overall my favorite buck guy of all time. Until nice. Kyle That's McCord awesome. wins the Heisman and national championship, <laughs> just cause I know him and then he'll become that. But yeah, I, I love Archie. And, and next year will be the 50th uh, year anniversary of him winning his first uh, Heisman trophy. So he's the yeah. only, only still the only one to win back to back. I think, We've we've come close a couple times with some other guys. We thought they could do it, but Archie's still the only one that's won back to back. And I and I hope he's always the only one. Right, kind of like the Miami always being yeah, the only yeah. undefeated team. Yep, yeah. I agree. Uh, my two favorites. So growing up, I was a huge Eddie George fan. I loved okay. Eddie George. He was an absolute monster running the football at Ohio state. Then went to Tennessee and did the same thing there, but I've always loved Eddie George. He's always been just like a really cool guy. Um, you know, I, I've seen the, uh, I think they, they did the, um, 
oh, what the hell is the the NFL films documentaries on him? I forgot yeah. the hell the name of it is off the top of my head, but he was really good there um, on his show. You know, just a really cool guy. He's been uh, doing the the acting and stuff. He was on um, Ballers with the Rock there um, for like season two or three, whatever it was. So yeah, Eddie George, and then you know one of my other favorites, just because. Honestly, out of all my sports teams that I liked growing up as a kid, obviously Ohio State um, for football and, and basketball, the first championship that I ever experienced really as a fan was 2002, and it was really led by Maurice Claret. And he absolutely carried that team on his back that whole year. Uh, he did have some injuries there towards the end, but, man, that national championship game uh, stripped the fumble away, got, um, got it back for us, and then, you know, the rest is history. We, we beat that Miami team that nobody thought could be beaten. Uh, Jim Trestle is obviously my favorite coach of all time. He might not be, like, you know, some X's and O's guru genius, but, man, he was uh, – he was a good guy. Loved him. Loved Maurice Claret. So yeah, Eddie George and Maurice Claret are my uh, my my favorite too, for sure. All right, so that is it for this week's show, Matt. Thank you uh, for being on here. Go ahead and plug your Twitter, plug Campus to Canton some more, man. Before we get on out of here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for for having me on. Hopefully, I could do this sometime with uh, with Scott as well. It'll be a lot of fun. We can definitely annoy him with a ton of Cleveland Browns and Ohio State talk because I'm sure he'll love every second of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me at Sports Fanatic MB and everything I do at Campus to Canton. I mean, if, if you if you like college football, it, I think it's it's a great place to go. And even if you don't want to sub, you know, there's a ton of free stuff that we put up on there, and then the YouTube page as well is all college football related. So anybody who wants to stop by, give us a shout appreciate it if you want to just come by and talk college football i say you know you don't have to sub to the website we will we we love to just give as much information about college football as we can i thank you for having me on man it's been it's been a ton of fun yeah for sure and you guys are always at the um, fantasy football expo as well too right so if you guys want to you want to meet matt and the rest of the uh, campus to canton crew they'll always be at the fantasy football expo as well and then, like I uh, said earlier, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Vanek NFL and follow the show at America's Game Pod as well. Um, we usually, you know, retweeting all our episodes and all the other DD stuff on there as well. And then next week's episode is going to be a really special episode. It's going to be myself, Scott, and Adam and Mike of the 4D Chess Crew. And it is going to literally be Friday evening after rounds two and three of the NFL draft. And we are going to do a live uh, rookie mock for you guys. Three-round rookie mock uh, with the actual NFL landing spots through the first three rounds. And then, obviously, uh, we're going to have to probably guess on the landing spots or the draft capital for guys who go through round through four through seven. Um, But, yeah, it's going to be a very informative podcast for you. A lot of our rookie drafts are going to be starting that Sunday morning or Monday morning. Um, This is going to be a good primer for you guys to say, hey, what is Adam and Scott and Mike and and myself? What are we thinking about um, these draft spots and these draft landing spots and where will we take them in rookie drafts? So this next week's episode is going to be a really big, informative episode. I'm looking forward to it. I know the guys are all pumped up for it as well. So make sure you guys um, tune in for that. And then for uh, that's it for this week, episode 41 in the books. Matt, thank you for uh, joining me once again, man. We'll definitely have you on um, for sure in the future with Scott. And uh, until next week, we'll see you guys.